Last, last week we wrapped up our Remain in Love series, and as we were going through that series, when we started, originally I thought, you know, a 10-part series, but the more I got into it and, and just uh, spent some time praying, felt like, you know, that needed to be clipped down to about eight, and so two of them were thrown out, which is fine, because I, I really felt that's what God um, was, was leading to do, um, but it messed up my calendar. I'm a planner, and I like to have everything in, in organization, and, and so it messed up my calendar because I had two weeks that were open, and so... Maybe I have to go back to the drawing board, back to my knees, and just be praying to God. Okay, God, there's these two weeks. Um, what do you want to do in those two weeks? And and um, God kind of reminded me that Halloween is among us, and since it's always been known as a church holiday, um, I thought we would right Halloween church. Yeah, you're funny. All right. Anyway, um, it always. Um, we come to Halloween and and just thinking about what I enjoy about Halloween. You know, when I was growing up. My mom never allowed my brother and I to dress up as anything scary. Um, you know, cl- the closest thing to scary I got, if you're scared of clowns, I was a clown one year, uh, and another year I was like a homeless man, and that was about the closest to scary I got, because um, my mom always said that you, you do it for fun, you should dress up for fun, and even though we weren't allowed to, and Jamie and I have kind of kept that tradition with our kids, and if you dress your kids up scary, that's, that's your prerogative, that's not really the point of any of it. Um, uh, even though I didn't dress up as scary, I always knew there were scary things out there. And uh, my very first overnighter for a birthday party, um, little to my parents' knowledge, um, my friend's mom thought it would be a cool idea to have all horror movies for that night. And that was my very first time introduced into horror movies. Um, and I'm talking about slash gash gore type stuff. And so I know for a fact I was the only one who did not go to sleep that night. Um, all, all my friends fell asleep in the basement and I sat in the living room with the lights on waiting for my dad to come and pick me up to take me to church because I needed some <laughs> biblical cleansing after that uh, tragic event. But I, I still enjoy... Um, being scared, I mean, I, I do enjoy scary movies on occasion, so I really didn't learn my lesson too well. I mean, there's nothing like watching a movie and, and having to, you know, squint or find a pillow or just look away uh, so you don't have to see something, and that's just good entertainment, right? Right, yeah, amen, yeah. Um, but Halloween always has that feel of, of something scary could happen. People can jump out and do pranks and tricks and people dress up in, in certain ways. And so I was thinking about that and, and, and praying about, okay, God, here's these two weeks that really fall right around Halloween. Should we do something, focus on that? And um, God gave me the green light. And so this morning and next, next Sunday, our, our focus is going to be scary stories from the Bible. And when I told Jason, our youth pastor, you know, this is what we're going to do, he, he immediately started jumping to some of the slash and gash stories that are found in the Old Testament. And um, I told him we're probably not going to go in that direction because it's, there's a lot of questions you have to deal with and context you have to dig out. But there are some interesting and very strange stories in the Old and New Testament. Um, and so if you thought that's where we're going, we're not. If you do have your Bibles, though, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 16, and as we dive into scary stories from the Bible, we are going to look at two stories that Jesus told, because you may not think of Jesus in this manner, but Jesus told some pretty scary stories, at least into the context of his listeners. And most of the time when Jesus told stories, they were known as parables. Parables were teaching lessons. They were spiritual truths that sometimes were on the surface, and then there were spiritual truths 
underneath. And if you've ever read a parable and be like, what in the world is he talking about? You're in good company because Jesus' disciples asked him the same thing. You know, what does this mean? What are you talking about? Well, there's two particular parables I believe that Jesus told that his listeners in, in the first century would have been scared half to death about the truth that Jesus was drawing out. And so Luke chapter 16, we're going to be spending our time uh, walking through the parable known as the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, back in November of 2010, there's a book released, and maybe you read this book, or, or if you're like me, if it's a good book, it'll eventually become a movie, and you can just go watch the movie. But this book rose up on the New York Times bestseller list in a matter of three weeks. It came to the top, and it documented a boy named Colton who had a near-death experience. And when he awoke, he began telling his parents and people about how he had visited heaven and how he had saw Jesus and saw a bunch of these cool things. Around the same time that year, uh, the former pastor of Mars Hill Church in Michigan by the name of Rob Bell released a book called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Now, Rob Bell's book um, tried to take on the idea that hell is not a real place. It doesn't actually exist um, because a God of the Bible would never make a place called hell for people to face eternal judgment. And I hope you caught that I said that he is the former pastor of Mars Hill as they uh, pushed him out of the door, and now he's the pastor to Oprah. Um, Serious, he is. <laughs> Not long after that, though, a man by the name of Francis Chan decided he should write a book addressing Rob Bell's issue, um, and he called that er erasing hell. What I mean by, by bringing up all these things is that mankind has been fascinated since the beginning of what is after this life. Um, classic literature like Dante's Inferno, you can probably think of movies that depict individuals who have died and go to another place, whether that's good or bad. I mean, Hollywood's jumped on this, and sometimes they go completely demonic, but you can even find this in, in video games now. This idea that what happens after this life, well, Jesus deals with this issue and teaches on it frequently, and we're going to be looking at one of those things this morning. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to begin in verse 19. C.S. Lewis said this concerning hell. There's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity that this is hell, if it lay in my power, but it has the full support of Scripture, especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it is the support of reason. Another author went on to write about hell is that we cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. And so as we look in this, we're going to come to an understanding of what Jesus was teaching about the eternal life, about heaven and hell, about who goes where and what happens when they get there. So if you have your word, the word of God with you, beginning in verse 9, the word of the Lord says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He, being Lazarus, longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. And one day that poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things. 
just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead were to go to them, they would repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone else rises from the dead. Context of the parable and where Jesus is teaching is you obviously have his disciples, those who are following Jesus. You have the Pharisees, those who are opposed to Jesus. And then Jesus always had people in the crowd that were just kind of seeking and trying to figure him out. And that's really where everybody is in this life. We have people who are following Jesus, is what is termed Christianity by the Bible. You have people who are adamantly opposed to Jesus. And then you have people who are just kind of on the fringe trying to figure out what this whole Jesus church Christianity thing is. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus begins telling this story. Now, Jesus most likely is speaking to Jewish individuals. So if you jump back in verse 19, when Jesus begins with the story, there was a rich man. In the context of Jesus' first listeners, they would have thought this is going to be the hero. This is going to be the man that we're going to look up to. He's going to be the example we are to follow because to be rich was to be viewed as being blessed by God. And, and so as they're hearing the story, he begins with this rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen. Purple was a, a color of dye that was hard to get. It speaks of his, his wealth and his fine linen. Just, it just amplifies that, that this man was well off in the world and he feasts lavishly every single day. And as a person, if you're sitting here and you're listening to Jesus speak this story as he opens up, the first thing you're thinking is, that's how I want to live. That's the life I want. I want to be rich. I want purple colors. I want to live lavishly. I want to eat lavishly. I want to, I want to just go to the excess. But again, if you're familiar with the way Jesus tells stories and does parables, he always kind of flips them. And so as he begins by there's a rich man, he goes on to verse 20. But then there was a poor man and his name was Lazarus and he was covered with sores and was lying at his gate. Unlike the rich man, Lazarus, he longed to be filled from what fell from the rich man's tables, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. And so here's the image. We have one living lavishly, the people, this is what I want to be. And then you have this beggar. That's, that's what the word sometimes means, is beggar. He's just sitting out at the gate of the rich man, hoping that crumbs would come to him. And as he sits out there and the rich man's living in his lavish clothes and this poor man is dressed in sores. And as the rich man fills himself with food, this rich man is being licked by dogs. Now, I, I don't mind dogs. You may be a dog fan or a cat fan. But for a Jewish person, a dog was an unclean animal. You did not have Rover as your pet. And so to say that this man is being licked by the dogs adds insult to injury. This is not the man you want to be. This man is a waste of life. He's sitting there just waiting to die. And that's what we would be thinking. If we're hearing Jesus, okay, I want to be the rich man, not the poor man. But then Jesus turns the table. And he says, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. And so as we're hearing this story about this rich man and poor man, Jesus says, okay, here's a reality that everyone's going to face. One day these two individuals died. 
Now, why Jesus gave Lazarus a name and the rich man not a name, we don't know. He, but he's telling a story. It's probably not a, a real person he's talking about here. But as they die, which everyone's going to die, there's two places which the Bible says that people go. And it says that the rich man, he went to a place called Hades. Now, in the scriptures, Hades refers to what we would call hell. It also refer, it can be read as Sheol. It means the grave. It's the place where dead go. But the poor man, he goes to Abraham's side. Now, again, Jewish individuals hearing Abraham's side, that's the place where we all want to be. That's what we would call heaven. So even though the rich man looked like that's the life I want to live, the reality, even in living that life, he did not end up where people want to go. And notice what it also does not say here. It also does not point to this idea that there's somewhere in the middle. There is no biblical backing for a place called purgatory. None whatsoever. Man, if you, if you do the historical uh, studying and where purgatory came from, where it came from is the Roman Catholic Church in the early beginnings decided that they were unsure whether forgiveness could be complete forgiveness or eternal forgiveness or if it was temporal forgiveness. And since they couldn't decide whether it's complete or temporal, they decided that they needed this place where people would go after you die. And so when you die, your loved ones hopefully can start paying these indulgences, which would go to the Catholic Church, which waged their wars and begin to, to fill the popes and have this lavish, rich, rich stuff in front of them. And so these, these poor peasants would pay these indulgences for the hopes that mommy or daddy or their brother or sister or even their child wouldn't end up in this place, but they would go on to the eternal dwelling. And all came about because they didn't understand scripture. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins uh, once and for all, paid completely. There is no place that the Bible presents that when you die, you're going to go to this place and hope, hopefully your brother or sister or your kids like you enough and they'll pay to get you out of there. Jesus paid it all, period. And Jesus teaches very clearly in the scripture, when we die, there are only two options. You go to hell or you go to heaven. Even though we like the title that heaven is for real, what Jesus does throughout his teachings a lot is he makes a point that, you know what, you also need to know that hell is for real. And people go to hell all the time. And one thing we can learn right off the bat is appearances can be deceiving. This rich man seemed to have everything going together. And in the context of this day and even to our, to our day to day, people seem to have wealth and have the nice car and the nice homes and just living well. We think God's just blessing them. God's just blessing them. And that was what Jesus had to deal with, that they must be blessed by God. And yes, God blesses us, but Jesus never preaches a health and wealth gospel. Matter of fact, I think the opposite would be seen right here. Here's a rich man who ends up in hell. So his richness was not because God was blessing him. And appearances can be deceiving. Some people can look like they have it all together, but the reality is, is they're missing the most important thing, and they don't have eternal life in heaven. And so we can live this entire life just chasing after the pleasures of this world and, and storing stuff up, but the reality is we get to take none of that with us. And as the rich man is in hell, and the poor man is in heaven at Abraham's side or his, his bosom in, in some translations. There's a very scary, this is why I think this is a scary story. Because if you notice, what does the rich man do? He calls out. 
See, when eternal life comes, if we're not saved and we're not covered by the blood of Christ, we're going to be fully aware of where we are compared to where we wanted to be. The rich man calls out to Abraham. Just, just let Lazarus a tip, just a tip of water, you know, just because I'm in torment. Why is he in torment? Because there's flames. It's what Jesus talks about in Scripture, that it's this fire that burns but never consumes. It's this constant pain and this constant agony. And this rich man is crying out, please, please, just a little bit of mercy. And what's the response? There is no reprieve. There is no more mercy to be given. Because when this life is over, here's, here's the thing we've got to understand. When this life is over, our eternal destination is set. It's set. When you breathe your last breath on this earth, you will breathe your first either in heaven or hell, and it will be set. There will be no reprieve. There will be no way out. And Abraham reveals that as, he's, as this, this rich man is calling out, please, please. He says, we can't. Why? Because there's this great chasm. There's this great separation. So people who are here can't go there. and People who are there, they can't come here. It's set. And that's where you're going to remain until God finishes it all. So then the, the rich man cries out one more time. And what's his request? Just send Lazarus back from the dead, right? Just let him, go, let him go to my five brothers and my father and just to warn them about this place. And Abraham says, that can't do that either. Why? Because they already have the prophets. They already have the law. They already have what we would call the word of God. They've got everything they need to make sure when this life is over, they don't end up where you are. And if they're not going to listen to that, they're not going to listen to someone rising from the dead. And Jesus is making a very prophetic statement right there. Because who's the person we know who rose from the dead? The answer is Jesus, right? Jesus. Who's the person we know who rose from the, from the dead? Jesus. Jesus. Good, good. Sunday school answer. All right. When Jesus rose from the dead, people didn't believe that either. Matter of fact, they became violent. They tried to stop it and tried to seize it. Just read through the book of Acts. When the, the disciples and the apostles began preaching the resurrected Christ, things did not go well. And, and this is a very prophetic statement. He says, if they won't listen to Moses and prophets, if they won't listen to the word of God, then they're not going to listen to someone who comes back from the dead. You see, when this life is over, the matter is set. That's it. Now, how does that help us? Well, if you're here this morning and you have accepted Jesus Christ, you have personally made this, this profession of faith, that you believe God sent His Son Jesus to, to live a perfect life that you couldn't, to die on the cross, be put in a tomb and to rise again, and you believe that, you're forgiven. And so you have security of your salvation. Nothing can take that away from you. You can Walk away from it, but nothing can take it away from you. God will not say, sorry, don't like you anymore. God always loves you. But the reality is there are people in your life that they are living the life of the rich man. They are so blinded by this world. They're so blinded by all the things of this world that they can't see the hope and the promises and the love of God that's put right in front of them. And so what does God do? He says, you know what? I commissioned Luke. You're my ambassador. Commission Joe, you're my ambassador. 
You are to go out and you are to make sure that these people understand that it's heaven or hell. And when this life is over, you're going to one place or the other. And because Jesus describes hell in such a way of torment and agony and pain and there's no reprieve and it just, it's just constant. We do not want people to go there. And so when we hear people say, you know, you should just go to hell. If we understood what that meant, there would be no way we would wish that on any individual. When it comes down to, to the end of this life, the question for us this morning is where are we going to go? Where are the people that God has placed in our life, where are they going? Man, accidents, I'm not a fire and brimstone guy, I'm a reality. Accidents happen all the time. The Bible says clearly that we aren't promised tomorrow. We aren't even promised we're going to finish this day. And there's people you love dearly right now in your life that don't know Jesus and don't know that God loves them, and they're heading to hell. We understand good people go to hell all the time. It's not about how good you are or how much stuff you've obtained. It's about do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you know that, then we've been commissioned to make sure the people that God's placed in our life know that as well. As this man cries up, he's told the truth that there's no way out. There's nothing else, nothing else that can be done. And the reality is that in this life, we have been given everything that we need. We have the word of God. We have the knowledge of God's love for us. And we have the knowledge when this life is over, it's heaven or hell. The thing about this morning is I don't know where everybody is. And I never know where everybody is that comes to church. But if we don't give the opportunity for people to accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we've totally missed the mark. If you're here this morning and you know now, okay, heaven and hell but you're not sure where you would go, God wants you to be sure in your salvation. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, there's not a person in this room, including the guy with the microphone, that gets it right all the time. We all fall short. And the Bible says that the wages of sin or the cost of our sin is death. That's that place where Jesus talks about, that place of Hades. That's people who are in Christ, they're alive in Christ. It's death. Eternal separation from the God of the living, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the free gift comes out of John 3, 16, that God so loved you. He loves you. He's for you. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says when we believe that, and we come to understand it's not about me being good enough or working my way enough or getting enough stuff in this world, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The Bible says, I believe that in my heart, the next thing I have to do is I have to confess it with my mouth. This is not something a grandma or a grandpa or a mom or dad or a brother or sister can make you do. If someone forced you into relationship with God, then you need to check your heart. It has to be a personal decision. I believe God loves me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again, and I want to be saved. 
The Bible says when I do that, I become a child of God. And so when I read this story, I don't have to read this story as a place of of fear and to be scared of. I can read this story and be like, I'm going to meet that poor man one day. And all the sores are going to be gone. And he's going to be dressed in white. And he's going to be sitting at a buffet table that my daddy's making for us all. And he's going to have a mansion. And I'm going to meet him one day. But if you're here this morning and you know that you fall more in line with the rich man, then now it's time to change that. So we're going to have time of invitation. We're going to ask Jeff and Jamie to come on back up. And here's the thing. When it comes to invitation, this can be a scary time. It's a calling out of faith. It's, you know what? I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care. I'm going to, I want Jesus in my life, and I'm going to let me know. And this is part of our confession. We confess with our mouth, but the word confess also means to do it publicly. And so if you're here this morning, you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, or you know you're not saved, this is, it's time to get that secured. But I also want you to pray right now, if you are saved, for God to reveal to you the people that he has placed in your life that you love and you care, and you would hate the idea that they are looking up to you from hell and asking for mercy. Would you be willing to step out of your comfort zone and to love on them and maybe be the instrument God wants to use to lead them to Christ? Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, a love that we just can't fully comprehend, Lord. And thank you for giving us the truth, even though sometimes it's hard to hear. But I thank you that you are preparing a place for us. You promised us in your word that you are preparing a place. And when that time comes that it's ready, you're coming back for your children. Lord, I thank you that I'm one of them. I thank you that I'm surrounded by your children's place. But Lord, you know if there's someone here this morning that is not sure whether they're saved. You know that there's someone here this morning that is, is struggling. And they need to make that step of faith. And it's time that we come to sing this, this song of invitation about stepping out in faith. Lord, give them the courage. Let your spirit come upon them so much that they just cannot sit still. Thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this incredible gift of salvation you've placed before us all. Father, I pray for your children, my brothers and sisters of Christ right now, that you would just overwhelm our hearts and the people that are in our life that we love and we care about, yet we don't know. We don't know if they're saved. We don't know if if this was the last day that they lived on this planet, if, if they would be in heaven or hell. And Lord, just put such a conviction upon our hearts that we just, we have to say it. Even if they, they spit in our face or persecute us, Lord, that we just, we have to say it because we love them too much. Father, I ask you to forgive me if I've gotten in your way this morning. But I know your word does not come back void. So in this time as we come to respond to what you've laid upon our hearts, let us do it in such an appropriate manner to show that we love you and we trust you. Grace on your son's name. If you need to come and invite Jesus in your heart, I'll be standing right here. I'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you.